you are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. We'll say it again, and then we'll pray again, and we'll go back. Just kidding. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and read our text. Uh, It's from verse 22 to 35. It's kind of short. Uh, I'll read one verse, and you read the next. Verse 22. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrown out. Indeed, some are last who will be, th- who will be, f- who will be first, and some are first who will be last. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and, and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. The word of the Lord. Uh, any thoughts? What do you think? <coughs> Excuse me. Something that stood out to you? Any thoughts? That's interesting, but there are several sayings of that in uh, we're finding the gospel. I think this one specifically is saying that it's not It's basically what it's saying. That's good. Anything else? Anyone else? Any thoughts? How many of you don't get it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> This isn't an easy one. Uh, this is very difficult. So what we do is we always do on Sunday. As I'm not only trying to tell you what this means, but I also want you to discover together what it means, so that we are all learning together how to read the Bible and understand what it is. So we'll go through the text to understand what this text means. So let's go ahead and start with the verse 22. It says, and go ahead and follow along on the on the text here. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. So that's the beginning part. Basically what Luke is doing, he's announcing that the context still is a journey. It's making a journey. It's making 
Jesus is traveling, and so it's a story of a journey, and which means there's a lot more to come. Um, everything that Jesus is doing here is has destination in mind. That means he's leading up to cross and resurrection. So what we also know is he's stopping by his town after time. He's not rush in rush to get to like I want to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross. That's it. He's not doing that. He's stopping in town after town. He's ministering, as we should too. Um, some people, some Christians, like to think that I'm going to be saved. I'm going to go to heaven. I just want to get there really, really quick. Um, get there. But we are called to minister as Jesus was. That's what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And then we move on in verse 23. There's a question and an answer. And that's really the core of today's text. It's a question and the answer. And the question is, verse 23. Someone read. Right. That's the question, right? Lord, will only a few be saved? Is there going to be a lot or is there going to be few? And that question is, it's, you know, very relevant to the time, um, in this time, in Jesus' time. It's a relevant question for the people to have in that time. They were widely discussed um, on the topic of who's going to make it to heaven, who's going to be saved, who's not going to be saved. Some of the people believe that everyone's going to be saved. Some of the people believe that not everyone's going to be saved. And a whole Jewish people, Israelites as a whole, believe that pretty, pretty much nearly all Israelites is going to be, are going to be saved except for a few, except for obvious ones. But this is a debate that's been held by, between rabbis to think who's going to be saved who's not going to be saved, which is interesting because we tend to debate the same thing um, in our time too. But what this means is, and this is really a good guideline as we look at the text, it's not about, only about, the eternal salvation when we're talking about who's going to be saved, who's not going to be saved. We need to read the text with the context and the cultural background and historical background in mind. Right? So what Israelites are facing, and most of you who's followed along up to this point know that there's an issue with Israel. There's a crisis that's hanging over their head. They're dealing with crisis with uh, the Roman Empire. There's an issue that's going to happen, and Jesus knows it, he sees it, and so most of you know that Jerusalem will fall in uh, AD 70, right? There's the conflict is going to, you know, blow up and there's going to be destruction. So we need to see it in the cultural and historical context. Um, so he said to them, verse 24, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Uh, Luke is quoting and working with the same source, as Matthew was, and we covered that at the beginning when we started uh, studying Luke. And here's what Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says. Pretty much the same thing, and you have it in, your, in the back of your sermon note. It says, Even enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So, this is the same source that Luke is working with. You can see the difference. What are the differences here? Luke uses door, right? And uh, Matthew uses gate, right? Matthew uses gate. So, there's a difference between gate and door. And plus, this is more descriptive. It's longer. And it's more negative. And you can see that the uh, easy that leads to destruction. So, there's no negativity in this verse. But 
what Luke is doing, he's kind of fitting it, he's changing it, so that it fits what he wants to say as a context, which what he wants to fit in verse 25, which has to do with house and owner and the door and not coming in and all of that. So we need to look at it in that context. And overall, when we look at the, when we read Jesus' answer, it suggests that the answer really is yes. Are few going to enter it, be saved? And Jesus seems to say yes, there's going to be few. Uh, verse 28, there will be uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrown out. Basically, what this is mentioning is that Jewish people assume that God has prepared the kingdom for Israel. So they're assuming that we're going to go to heaven, there's going to be kingdom of God, there's, we're going to be hanging out with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, it's going to be awesome. But Jesus is saying that, no, that's not going to be happening. Some of you will just look at other people hanging out with Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. Not only that, what's worse is that these are going to, the people who are going to be hanging out are going to be the Gentiles. So that's a shocking news to those who are listening. Because it says in verse 28, Then people will come from east to west and from north and south and will eat in the kingdom of God. In verse 30, Many of the people who expected to be there will be excluded. That's what it means when you ask the question, Louis, it means it's not going to be what you expected. It's going to be different. And he goes on to say about Pharisees who comes, and they say, get away from here, the Herod is trying to kill you, uh, which is interesting that Pharisees is trying to help Jesus. So Jesus responds by saying that, you go tell that fox for me. Um, which is an interesting name to call someone like Herod. Uh, because in, we understand, when we read, when we hear someone being called fox, what do you think about? That person is... Sly, but yet cunning, um, devious. devious. Yeah, so that's kind of what it means in sort of the you know the Greek understanding and our understanding. In Old Testament, fox means destructive. So it's kind of confusing why Jesus, Jesus would call Herod fox, but what Luke is trying to do here again, and Jesus in his saying, is he's trying to fit it into the overall context, which in verse 24 he talks about hens, the birds, and chickens, and you know, it's known that fox prey on the chicken farm. <laughs> so that's what he's saying. He's fox. He's trying to prey on the Israelites, the people. Um, verse 20, 22, he says, uh, 32, he says, Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the third day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is saying here, today and tomorrow means now, it means the work, it means in short time, the third day means short time, that in the end, in the definite time, it will be finished. And what he's saying is that I need to go on for my mission. Uh, Herod's threat is there, but I need to go on to complete my mission, and he's headed. What matters is his destiny to fulfill. That he's going to go to Jerusalem and die on the cross. So which means, Jesus lived with Destiny, live with purpose, and we're gonna continue to study on, which means that we also have purpose to live on. Which means the way that we live as a disciple, the cost of discipleship, what we're gonna talk about, is the same thing with Jesus. And I talked about this earlier. Jesus has taken on God's mission, and we take on Jesus' mission. So in the end, we take on the mission of God in our lives. That's what it means. 
34, Jesus Christ for the Jerusalem. And uh, 35, Jesus says, See, your house is left to you, which means there's no God in your house in Jerusalem. God is left. You're going to be destroyed. And it does happen. In AD 70, Jerusalem gets completely destroyed. But what's worse for Israelites is God has left Israel. If you don't accept me, you're getting a last chance. I'm the last chance. God is giving you last opportunity. If you don't accept me, He's gone. That destruction will come. So, here's what it means. The text in overall, we need to look at that. <coughs> it's heavily directed toward Israelites. Jesus is talking to Israelites. What they expected and what's actually going to happen and what's happening. And that is, He's giving a warning against what they believe and what they have been arguing with one another. And God is giving Israel the final warning that He's the last messenger. He's the last prophet, in a sense. That Jesus has a door open. If they miss this opportunity, it'll be too late. And Gentiles will end up enjoying um, the promise instead. And we know that that's just kind of like, sounds like what had happened. So that's what the text means. It's directed to Israelites. But it also could mean something for us. How do we make this relevant? Right? How do we make this relevant, what Jesus was saying to a group of people 2,000 years ago? In a country that we don't, we don't live in. So, I think the core of the question, text is on the question and the answer. You agree? Somebody asked the question, Lord, will only few be saved? Have you asked this question in your mind? Maybe ask God in, you know, in your prayer that not everyone's going to make it? That's basically essentially the, what the question is. Is everyone going to make it? Or is only some people going to make it? Right? You know, if not everyone's going to make it, what about the people that are nice people? Right? Morally right. They live a good life. They do good in their lives. You know, some of your friends, some of your neighbors, some of, you know, your parents, your sisters, your siblings, your relatives. What about them? They're not going to make it? Is everyone going to make it? Or is it going to be just some people? We think about this. We ask this question, right? What about other religions? What about other beliefs? You know, like Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, New Age, Universalism, or Scientology, whatever. What about these religions? Are they going to make it or are they not going to make it? So in the end, the, really, the question is, is Christianity, is our faith, is it exclusive? Is it narrow? Which is interesting, is the word that's been used by Jesus. Is it exclusive? Is it narrow? We ask this question, and it's an important question. People ask this question, right? People outside Christian faith ask this question. And, but in the end, it's a personal question. For all of us, we ask, am I going to make it? Right? Jesus, am I going to make this or not? So we ask, well, who's going to make it? <laughs> and that's kind of the cheating way, shortcut that we, well, who's going to make it? I want to know who's going to make it. Like, is my pastor going to make it? Is this person going to make it? So if this person's going to make it, then I'm going to try to copy whatever he's doing. So if I can get, gauge kind of who's making it, then I can work myself out into that. It's like playing, it's like doing plagiarism, right? You're just going to copy what other people are doing. So we ask the question, it's a personal question. Am I going to make it? We demand the access to the kingdom. We want to go. Heaven sounds great. I want to go. And the thing is, Jesus refuses to answer directly. He doesn't say, yes, 
or how, he refuses. He refuses to give any kind of figures or statistics or dates or numbers. And you know, people don't like this. They want to know exactly well, how many are going to make it. You guys know Jehovah's Witness have their number down, right? 115,000, that's the people who's going to make it. We wanna, I want to be in that. Some people have dates figured out, right? People try to work out these dates, right? Like 9-11. 9, you flip it, that's 6 and, I don't know, 11 minus 5, say twice, and 666. Six, six. Look, I figured it out. It was an evil thing. I mean, you read stuff, and people like try to figure out the end time is coming, and it's ridiculous. And people don't like it because we want to know specific numbers, dates, and figures. We want to know. And Jesus refuses to answer. But his answer is this. Verse 24 is, he says, <clears throat> Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. The first thing that catches our eyes is, enter through what? Narrow door. Narrow door. It's narrow. And that means, the question, is Christianity exclusive? What do you think the answer is? Yeah. Yes. It's exclusive. Exclusive in a sense, there's a door. There's a narrow door. There's a way, and Jesus is the way. And only through Jesus that people can come to it. And that's, when we talk about our faith, and um, there are many things people talk about, especially like within religion and denomination. There are a lot of things that people talk about. Some are negotiable. Some are that important. Right? We talked about drinking. Let me tell you, with, you know, I met somebody when we were doing the China Young Life thing, and she knew about Nazareth, and she said, oh, so you guys can dance now, right? Um, because the churches in Nazareth, we prohibited dancing. Even further back in the history, we prohibited going to movies, right? <clears throat> Imagine that, right? Uh, not anymore, but these are not important issues that people notice. Like, four years ago, before uh, the, our General Assembly, it was in the rule in our, that you have to, your church name has to have Church of the Nazareth. So we can't be just Life Light Church. We have to have Life Light Church of the Nazareth. So, I, in fact, I know a few pastors who their church had two different, like, templates. One had just whatever church, and one had Church of Nazareth in case someone shows up. So they had, like, two different types of banners. And they carried that on for four years, and this General Assembly, we got rid of that, because people thought, that's ridiculous, right? It shouldn't be the name that we represent, it's who we are as a, as a community that represents the denomination, the group of family that we belong to. So things change, you know, right now, in Church of Nazareth, you're not supposed to drink. Drinking is prohibited in our bylaws, right? Um, I, in fact, believe that's not biblical, and I would take chance and allow our church leadership to go ahead, drink, but don't get drunk. But because I belong to Nazareth, Church of Nazareth, and Joshua as well, we have committed to it, I won't drink. Even though I think it's okay to drink because, you know, it's not worth um, saying, you know, fighting that with denomination that I believe and I want to belong to. But I know that in four years when we have General Assembly, that's not going to last. So when that passes, we're going to have a cake party. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, but that's what I mean. There are negotiable things and non-negotiable things. These are not that important, right? There are things that are just completely non-negotiable. One of, and one of that, and probably the most important part of that is, there's one God, and there's one Lord, and 
how, can, how do you come to faith or be saved? Through Jesus. That's not negotiable. We cannot walk away from that. That is not negotiable. We don't change that. And when I was in San Diego, uh, I met one of the pastors, and the pastor was talking about these non-negotiable and negotiables. And some of the you know, scholars said, died saying that as I got older, I held on to less non-negotiables and opened up to more you know, negotiable parts of faith and beliefs and doctrines and things. And he said, you know, you just need to be saved by you know, through God, you know, not really Jesus. And that's not what Jesus meant. And I looked at him, and said, are you serious? And I, I just didn't even want to argue with him. I and mean, this was an old pastor. It's like, you know, you don't want to go down that road. Because then why did Jesus die? No point in Jesus dying. Why did Jesus come? There was no point of Jesus coming. Narrow door is Jesus, right? That's not negotiable. That's what we believe in. That Christianity is, is exclusive in that we believe only through Jesus that we can come to God. However, it's also inclusive, and some of you have heard this before, inclusive in that everyone's welcome. We want everyone to come to Jesus. So it's exclusive, but yet inclusive. So the two choices and one answer is Jesus. Um, another part of it is narrow door. It's not wide, it's narrow, so that you just kind of don't, oh, I can, everyone can walk in and we can all kind of stumble, oh, I found the door, here I am. So it's narrow, which means that it takes energy and effort to get in. It's not an easy thing. Um, when I went to Bethlehem, there's a church of nativity or whatever, I don't know exactly. There's a church that has like a little tomb or rock that they think that's where Jesus was born. I think it's BS. Um, but there's a church. Entrance into the church, there's a door. There's one door. It's like this small. <laughs> right? And it's like this long, right? I mean, it takes an effort to get in. I, you know, I, had, I was worried some of the parties that I traveled with were old people. And they had to like get down on their knees to crawl. And I was worried, oh man, is that, are they going to be able to get up? Um, because it's hard. I, I struggled to get through. It was like going into a pyramid. Oh, that's different story. <laughs> it's small, right? So you have to get down and crawl under. And uh, they say, you know, all need to bow down. That's ridiculous, I thought. You're forcing me to bow down to enter into the church by making the door small. But narrow and small door force you to make an effort to get in. And you just don't stumble in. I mean, if you, you don't stumble in, you hit your head because it's low and narrow and small. So narrow door, which means it takes an effort. That's why the next word that catches our eyes is strive. And in the Greek... Um, an, and the meaning is that great meaning is it, you need to fight, struggle, make every effort. It's a language of struggle and contest. That it's not easy, it takes effort, it takes struggle. So strive is a word that denotes wholehearted action. It points out you cannot be half-hearted. You need to be focused, you need to make an effort to get in. So as a church, you know that's what we are um, after, as a life flight, as a group, as a community, we urge the wholehearted life of discipleship in this community. And as you know, we're not making this stuff up as a community. We are following the gospel, following the instruction, following the word of Jesus, that you must be wholehearted. Make an effort 
So we believe that it's true, discipleship calls has a high calling, high standard. So that's what we do, right? That's what we hold on to. That when we talk about membership of life, life, what we expect of you, it's a high, high standard. And I share that with some people, some of the pastors, like, you know, life, life, in our church, everybody gives, everybody attends, everybody serves. You're part of ministry, you're, you're tithing if you're a member, and you're attending everything. It's not like you attend when you feel like it. It's not like you give if you feel like it. You commit to the community. And that's who we are. And all the pastors go, wow, that's nice. And some of them don't believe me that we can actually do that because churches don't do that. Because it's not attractive to people who just want to kind of show up and be part of. But that's what the gospel calls. It's a narrow door. Not everyone can get in. Only the people who make an effort, who struggle, who commit with a whole heart. Another part that we look at it is when Jesus says, um, he says, strive. That's a present tense. And in comparison, the other say, many will try. That's a future tense, right? So what Jesus is saying is, do it, strive, which means do it now. He says, it's now. Time to do it now. The time is in the future, but it's now that matters. But do what? Do what? When you're talking about faith, and you know, I had a, with one of you, I had a conversation over last week, that what is faith? How do I know when I grow, when I'm growing, maturing in faith? How, how do I know that I'm, that I'm living out life of faith? And I told that faith is a word of action. It's about making choices. Faith isn't just, you know, spirituality. It's not something that you spiritualize. And I hate that. When people try to spiritualize everything, oh, you know, I believe, you know, no, I'm in there, I'm up there. You know, I hate, I hate it when people try to spiritualize things. Faith isn't being like spiritual. It's a word of action. Because faith comes down to making choices. And look at the word um, in the, by Matthew, the same word. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the uh, gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. There's a choice. Right? What it's saying is there's a choice. There's a narrow gate. And there's a wide gate. One is easy. And many will take the easy road. The other one is hard. And few will find it. It's a choice. And because that's what faith is. Faith is about making choice. Choosing easy way. Choosing hard way versus easy way. You know, it's not easy to get up on Sunday morning and come to become a part of a community. It's not easy to back out on parties and nights with and dinner with the friends and, you know, have to commit two or three, you know, one or two evenings during the week to come to Bible study, go to, you know, book club or whatever the meetings and meeting with other people. It's not easy to be honest at work, right? Have the integrity whatever the business you're doing. It's not easy to be that at school. Be honest and hardworking. It's not easy to save and sacrifice time, energy, and money. Um, it's not easy to just bother with all of that. It's not easy to approach someone to start a godly relationship. It's not easy to forgive people. It's not easy to be vulnerable and share your faults and shortcomings and your sins. 
It's not easy to love those who don't love you back. It's not easy to change yourself, your life, for godly purpose. It's not easy. It's making choices. And it's about everyday choices. And it goes deeper. It's not just making these choices. It goes deeper in that action is inspired by your beliefs. It's believing that Jesus forgave you so you can forgive. You can be vulnerable and acknowledge that you need God's mercy. It's believing that you need the Word of God and the community to live godly life. That's where it happens, right? Your beliefs. It's believing that you fear God and not people. So you're honest and you hold integrity and when dealing and caring and receiving and loving people. It's believing that you must be rich toward God in your time, money, and energy and not storing in your bank accounts and doing it for yourself. Believing that God is good and good on His promises so that you can invest in God even at difficult times and questionable times and uncertainty. It's about believing that God will make good of terrible situations and tragedies in life so that you can be comforted and not be afraid and rejoice. It starts from belief that leads to actions in which you make choices. Believing that God will protect you and has protected you so you don't fear in times of trouble. Believing that our life is is short, life now is short, but there is a uh, eternity that awaits so that we don't stress out. We show peace so that other people can ask, why are you so peaceful? It's believing that everyone needs God. They need to be saved. So your work of witnessing, sharing the gospel is of most importance. Believing that God can shape you and change you so you're willing to receive the opportunities and trials and tests to be shaped. Believing that God is awesome and He will give you strength so that you can do God's very best in everything you do. It's about making choices. It's about believing. Believe that inspires to make choices. Striving to enter through the narrow gate. Jesus said, many will try to enter and will not be able. Why? He says, why? He says, in verse 25, owner of the house, that's Jesus, will get up and shut the door. Not only is it too late, but the door is shut by the householder. And you say, you, people, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door and say, Lord, open to us. And Jesus responds, I do not know you. I do not know where you come from. And people, we say, but, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. It's people standing outside is protesting that there has to be some mistake. I used to work at an airline and uh, there is a like, weight limit and there's a we overbook. <laughs> you didn't know that, right? You don't know. We overbook. Right? People show up and they have a you know, confirmation, they have a ticket and we have to say, oh, sorry, we have to close the door. And people say, I have a ticket. I have a seat. Like, oh, I know, but I'm sorry. It's closed. And they will say, it doesn't make sense. It's not fair. How can they do this? There's got to be some kind of mistake. And that's kind of what it feels like. People would walk saying, well, I'm confirmed. I had a baptism. I go to church. I know some Christians. I read Bible. I do my prayers at night. I'm not in. What happened? It's not fair. But you know, the truth is, in the end, there's going to be two people. There's going to be one inside, one outside. There's going to be saved, and there's going to be unsaved, and there's people in heaven, 
people in hell, there's going to be people who's receiving mercy and love from God. There's going to be people receiving wrath of God. And that's to Jesus. And that's difficult for us to accept, but it's for us to receive by knowing that God is good. And the Jesus we receive is this. Jesus, there's a God of mercy, but there's also God of wrath. There's Jesus in heaven, and guess who's in hell? Not Satan. Satan's gone. Who's in hell? Jesus. There's both, right? Because Jesus rules all. There's only Jesus. That's what it means. The whole Bible, there's only Jesus. In heaven and hell, in judging, in giving mercy and giving rest, there's only Jesus. So the only way to come is through Jesus. So the question is, People ask, will only a few be saved? Jesus answers by saying that the invitation is open, but the way into the kingdom is narrow and demands more than casual interest. And in fact, the door of opportunity will not remain forever open. And he says, I do not know you. So that's the scariest thing, I think. And you think, and Paul was scared of that too. He said, I'm afraid, after all that I have done, when I face God, that I'll be rejected. That's the scariest part. Says Jesus said, I do not know you. Let me close with this. There's definitely a warning in this. And it's a necessary warning. It's a warning because we forget. We forget that there's an opportunity, and everyone who receives opportunity is obligated. Because with the opportunity comes your choice to make decisions. Are you going to accept it, or are you going to reject it? That's a responsibility. And warning is necessary because we have been given opportunity. We can't just wait and see and just think about, oh, I'll wait and see what happens in my life. I'll wait and see what happens. We receive these words and all of us, including myself, we need to assess where we are in our relationship with God. Are you inside? Have you strived and have you gone into through the narrow door? Are you still just kind of hanging out, knocking and seeing what's out there? Are there better doors, easier doors, bigger doors, or prettier doors, or something else? But have you gone in? And um, have you gone in with poor hardware? Jesus has the door open, but not forever. So there's an urgency here with the warning to be saved. Let me tell you a story of a, uh, a pastor named John Harper. And some of you have heard this story. John Harper is a pastor in uh, Ireland or Scotland. One of those. United Kingdom. <laughs> he was a pastor in early uh, early 19th, early 20th, 20th uh, century. Um, he was a widow. He got widowed. He had a little girl. And he was offered uh, to come and preach and take over a church in uh, Chicago, in the church Moody, Al Moody Church, which was great because he was a well-known uh, preacher. And uh, he, had a, he's, he planted the church, separate church, and grew really large. And uh, so he was making a trip to um, come to Chicago from England, and he got on this really fabulous, big, large ship that we all know as Titanic. So he got on the boat with his little girl. So obviously you know the story. Uh, Titanic hits the iceberg and it sinks. And um, 
you know, there's a lifeboat, and, you know, limited people got on the lifeboat, and his daughter got on, and people knew that he's, you know, he's, he's widowed, and he's the only parent of the daughter, and people urged, you know, get on, on the, you know, lifeboat too, now, but he says, no, I mean, I don't know if I can do that, my daughter, six-year-old girl, same as Hannah, left behind, he said, no, I have work to do, and he ran around, and I don't know if this is, this is not in the movie, but he ran around, he cried, women, children, and unsaved, get in the lifeboat. That's what it, he ran around the boat saying, women, children, and unsaved, get in the boat. Because you need to be saved. You need to leave. And, uh, you know, the, it sank. So he was running around just telling people about the gospel, you need to save, you need to accept Jesus now. And the boat sank, and, you know, hundreds of people are um, floating, and he's swimming in the cold, ice-cold waters from people to people, sharing the gospel. He said, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? If there's unsaved people, he would share the gospel, accept the Jesus now. Receive the Jesus. Just running around, swimming around, right? And he came to one person, one young man, and he said, will you receive the gospel? And he said, no. He swam around a little bit more and just reaching out and just just going crazy, just sharing the gospel. He came back around to this young man again and shared the gospel. The young man said, yes, I received Jesus. And this is, he's going around, he's giving away his life fast. To people. He said, you need this. Are you saved? You're not saved? You're unsaved? You need this more than I do. So you need to save until you get saved. Right? And so he came to this young man. The young man said, I believe. And he died. John Harper died. The young man was one of the six people, along with a lady in Titanic movie that was saved. One of six people that was saved. And he said, I was the last convert of John Harper. Um, that's the urgency, right? And that's the warning that we need to be saved. Uh, when I pray for you guys, all of you will know that God is good. He's made you beautifully and with purpose. And even when you have failed, God has grace and God has come in, Jesus, in the form of Jesus to save you, to lead you in a life of eternity with the Father. And, uh, you know, the one thing about life is we make it plain and we make it open that if you don't believe it, you share it. You don't all need to be believers to be part of the community. We welcome you to continue to learn and take time to decide. And my prayer is that all of you will decide and get in the narrow door. And that after you are receiving this word today, that you'll make a decision. That's what it is. Scripture, you read it, you receive it, you make a decision. And there's urgency because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And there's urgency for those you love because you don't know what's going to happen to them tomorrow. Right? Like a shot in the arm by some drunk hunter. You don't know. So would you receive these words of warning? And this, these are words of warning not with wrath and hate, but with love and kindness. See Jesus weeping for Jerusalem. He's weeping. He's giving us all the time He can possibly give us because He wants all people, all His children to come to Him. 
He's waiting, 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 weeping and crying out and because He's merciful. And that's God that we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table. To be reminded of who He is and remind, reminded of the saving grace that He offers for us to come to decision. So when we go ahead and share this and God, Joshua leads us into this, as always, instead of like talking, would you just bow your head as you're uh, receiving it and um, if you ever made a decision, and make it yourself, it's your, your, your decision, right? Would you take time to make a decision? And if you're receiving it, that's, you know, bread and the you know, cup, then that's you receiving, I want Jesus. But are you receiving Jesus wholeheartedly? Have you received Jesus wholeheartedly or just casual interest? Let's take time of confession and time of decision as we receive the um, come. Let me pray and Joshua will lead us into that. Father, we live our lives as if there's always tomorrow and it's forever. And uh, the passionate, loving Jesus, you cry out, you warn us that it's not always available. And we need to take the opportunity that comes. We need you, we need Jesus to be saved. And I pray that all of us into our hearts, look into where we are in relationship with you, and receive you, and choose you, and live a life of hope, joy, and in relationship with the loving Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.